You know, we, uh, I went down to Kansas this week, actually. Uh, I went to go officiate a funeral, and many of you, you were aware of Jace Ward. And he was a cousin to uh, some of the Ashers that go here and the Allens that go here. And, and uh, this young man was 22 years old. He had been diagnosed with DIPG two, two years ago. And a lot of us, we've been praying for him and really been believing uh, God for his healing and, and, and things like that. And ultimately, that's not what happened. But I'm telling you, God moved in so many different ways in their lives. And, and so when I went down there, one of the things, the family wanted me to thank you all because you guys prayed for him. You supported him. A lot of them sent messages to the family from our church, and they were just so grateful for that. It really impacted their hearts. And let me tell you something. We got a good church right here, folks. Y'all are a good bunch of people. I believe that. Amen. You give yourself a hand. Yeah. And everybody said, no, we're too humble for that. We're too humble for that, pastor. But we went down there and, uh, and, you know, I was, I was nervous about it. And then he impacted so many people, though. There were like 24,000 people that were tuning into the funeral. And the reason that he asked me to come and preach the funeral was because he was thinking about his family. He essentially planned his own funeral. And he told his family that he wanted me to come and do it because he had friends that he knew didn't know Jesus and he thought I could relate to them. Can you imagine that? I sat there and wept and cried just trying to prepare and get ready, but I got up and I, and I spoke. And, you know, his mom got up and they were telling this story because when you think about this, this is something that was really amazing. They were, they were, he knew he was going to heaven. Over the past two years, he'd really developed a relationship with Jesus, and he was aware of that, and he, he wanted his friends and his family to go to heaven with him. But as they were talking about it, they said, you know, Jace, what are you going to do? What, what, will you, what will be the sign that everything's okay and that you're with us? He, they, they said, what do you want to be, so to speak? And he said, man, I want to be a stinking dragonfly. And so the day after he passes away, his mom is, is, is planning the funeral and getting everything ready. And she looks outside and she sees the biggest dragonfly she's ever seen in her life. She walks out onto the porch and this dragonfly just hovers in front of her face and starts bouncing off of her chest. And so she calls the family out and she says, come out, you got to see this. And they're all sitting there watching this dragonfly just bounce off of her chest for like 10 or 15 minutes. And they said, that's, that's him, everything's okay. But I, I just thought that was an amazing story. But listen, thanks for, for praying for them and for praying for us, those of you that did. And we believe he's with the Lord, man. And that's, that's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If we, if, if we don't have that hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. But he makes death seem like a much smaller thing than it really is. And we're thankful for that. I also, yesterday, I came, so I flew back home on Friday night, got home about 2 a.m., and then yesterday, I, 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 did a, I did a wedding. John Runyon was there. We about got killed down there. I, don't, I just want to tell this because it's a crazy story. There's nothing to this, but I just got to tell it. So, so I'm doing this wedding, and I kid you not, John Runyon as my witness, that while I was in this wedding, we, we open up, and I do the opening prayer, and as soon as I get to the end of the prayer and say amen, a lightning bolt struck directly behind me. Boom! I mean, lit the world on fire. I thought, I thought somebody had fired a rifle at me. I checked if I was shot. I was like, man, what in the world just happened right then? And I said, all right. I shook it off. I pushed through. I, I said something, you know, to, to get through. And we, we get to the point where we're doing the vows. And I say, all right, now you guys join hands if you would. And when they joined hands, I kid you not, same spot, boom. I thought, my God. I said, Lord, you've increased my anointing. I'm now calling fire down from heaven. I'm, we went Old Testament. Anyway, I just, I just thought that was amazing. So, Lord will speak to you, uh, you know, anyway. 
My Lord, it's, it's, it's good to see everybody this morning. It's been a long week, so bear with me this, this morning because I, I was, you know, we've been, we've been talking about, honestly, among some of our leaders and our, and our trustees, we've been talking about doing some things in the church for a long time now, really. Uh, we've needed things like a roof over here on this building for a long time. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. If it's your first time here, yeah, we're going to talk about money a little bit. I know it's a little bit aggravating, but I, trust me, if you go back and listen to our podcast, it's talked about very, very little. But it's the time, according to the Spirit of the Lord, that I need to discuss it with you. Amen? Y'all good with me? So here's what I want to say about our church, though. I mean, I don't know. Do you guys believe in providence? You believe that God brings people to certain places at certain times for a reason. I believe that with all of my heart. I remember when I was, when I was becoming the, the lead pastor and Donald and I were transitioning. Uh, Donald and I had a conversation one time, though, and, and I told him this story because I don't remember how it came up, but there was this guy's name named Alistair Petrie, and I, his name kept coming to me. I had no idea who this guy was, right? I had no idea who he was, but his name kept coming to me. And at this time, I was really wrestling with like, man, has God really called me to this church here in Manchester, Kentucky? I was struggling with it because anytime God calls you to do something, oftentimes you will struggle with that calling. Amen. Anybody amen, right? So, so I was struggling with it. I was wrestling with it. And this guy's name kept coming to me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I just don't know if this is where, where, I've, where, where I've been called to. I don't know if you even are wanting to do anything in Manchester, Kentucky. I mean, it's Manchester, Kentucky. Like, like what in the world could you even do here? And I was wrestling with that. And I even talked to Donald about it. So I went up here with these things in my mind one day. And I, and I searched for Alistair Petrie's name. And I found a sermon that he preached. So I hit play. Now, he, he was speaking in Sydney, Australia, first time I'd ever speak, speaking to some people in Sydney, Australia at a church, and he begins to talk about what God's doing throughout the world, and the first place that he mentioned, he said, you know where God is really going to do something and is doing something right now? He said, Manchester, Kentucky. And he's in Australia. I said, well, Lord, if that's not a sign, I mean, I'll take that, you know? And my point is, and I could tell you time and time again, earlier this year, I was wrestling, I went to a pastor's conference, okay, and, and, and one of the things that I was praying is, is, and I had been praying for so long, I'd been praying, God, send the right people to us. Send us the resources that we need because we don't want to just be another church. We want to literally be a church that can bring transformation to the community. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people impacted by the love of God. We want to be able to bless our community. We want to be a blessing to our community and not a, not a burden on the community, Amen. So I'm praying about all that stuff, and I sat down with all these pastors in a room of like 150 pastors, and they get to talking about budgets and money, which I didn't even want to hear about, you know what I'm talking about. And they talk about what their budgets were, and it just really bothered me. And in my heart, I said, Lord, there's no way we could ever get those kind of resources to do what you've called us to do in our area. And so... At that very moment, we were praying, we were sitting there, and Larry Stock still calls out from the platform in a room of 150 pastors, and he said, Clay Bishop, you're down there in Manchester, Kentucky right now asking the question, Lord, how are you going to bring the resources that you need into this area? He said, God's called you to that place, and he's going to give you a heart for that place and for those people. He's going to send the resources in. He said, if you guys will focus on the why, God will provide for you the how. Yeah. He'll bring for you what you need. Anyway. Yeah, you can be excited about that if you want to. I can get excited about it. 
I guess my point is, is that I really do believe that God is doing something, and I can't hardly get away from it even if I want to run away from it. I believe that God wants to use us, use our church, use our people in a way that's beyond what we can understand. It's bigger than me, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than us. And we exist for the people who don't know Jesus yet that will come in here at some point and have an account, an encounter with Him. That's who we exist for. And so we have to keep that in mind when we move forward and we, we do these things because God deserves our best. And i got to be honest with you, when you live in Clay County, even when people talk about Clay County, it's like there's this spirit and there's this mindset that, you know what, we just live in Clay County, nothing's ever going to get better, everybody's corrupt, it's, it, we're impoverished, we don't have any nice things. And there's this mindset that keeps us from believing for greater things. Would you agree with that? I think it happens all throughout our community and we just say, well, it's just Clay County. But I'm telling you, I believe that God wants to do something in our region. And it's not just about money or anything like that. It's not about any of those things. It's about a move of God in our midst where people's lives are truly trans transformed and changed. Now, we're going to do a giving campaign. And we've done one, I think, years back whenever I first got here. But, but we're calling it Awakening Hope because it's not just about Money, it's about the fact that really that same spirit that tries to quench hope in people's lives, God's given us a calling. I mean, the name of the church is City of Hope, a joyful expectation of good things to come in the future. And we want hope to be awakened in people's hearts. If people can come in here and just have a little bit of a glimmer of hope whenever they're going through devastation or pain or loss or suffering and get a glimmer of hope and say, you know what, this isn't the end. There is hope for my life. There's hope for our community. There's hope for our lost loved ones. Then that's what we're looking to do. So part of that is, I believe, that, that we want to move forward as a church together corporately. Now, there's certain things, like I said, that we've been wanting to do for a while, and so we're going to do a giving campaign, and we're going to receive an offering on August the 8th, a one-time offering. We're going to receive an offering on August the 8th. That's five Sundays from today uh, that will go toward this, and it'll go to, it, it, we're going to break this thing down in about three phases. And so the first phase I want to show you, like, here's what's going to happen. If you put that first picture up, now, I had a couple people this, you know, that, that helped me out with some of these digital designs because I don't know how to do anything, right? Paul Chastain helped me. My sister-in-law helped me a little bit. But basically, if you've noticed, somebody said the other day, this building, we painted it. We painted the, the blue black on this building. I don't know if you noticed that. It was a pretty easy job. We got it done. No big deal. So it's black. But we're wanting to match the school building black as well and clean it up. I know y'all think that brick over there is beautiful. I know. 1964 Horse Creek Elementary School vintage. It looks good. I know, and I know you probably don't want it to look any better than it already does, but I feel like if we cleaned it up, there are still people that come to me all the time and say, man, where's your church at? We say, I'm over there in that Horse Creek Elementary. Oh, I didn't even know there was a church there. I just thought it was an old abandoned school building. I was like, and then when you come to church, they say, you know, you, you got you to gotta go through like an obstacle course to get back here. You got to like drive around the dump truck, you know what I'm saying, and do all that. So, so we're going to paint that black, put a sign up so people know, hey, it's, it's a church down here. We're having church, praise God. And then the next slide, if you'll move on, the state is actually going to give us a new entrance because they're doing a new road. And so we're going to take this opportunity to have a new entrance that passes through here. Now, this isn't exactly what it will look like because, because they're going to be parking up against that building as well. So that new entrance will sort of pass through there so that we won't have to go through the dump truck and around a maze and stuff like that. And, and that, other, that other work over there will, will be taken care of on some level, I'm sure. Uh, and then the next slide, and go back actually to the last slide. So let's stay here just for a second. So right here on our first, our first phase, this is right, we're doing this right now. 
Other things are coming future. But what we're doing right now is we're getting a new entrance that's coming in whenever the state helps us out, and we're going to bring that around. And then the, probably the most important thing that we're going to do right now is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time because Sheb and I have spent hundreds of hours on top of that roof over there patching it because you can talk about some monstrous leaks, son. And I don't want your kids in children's church getting dripped on. You know what I mean? And I don't want them slipping. So Sheb, thank, y'all give Sheb a hand clap. Let me tell you something. And of course... Brian Jackson, he's around here somewhere, but, but he helps with that stuff. Yeah, you can give him a hand clap too. But they're the one that keeps water, water off your kids' heads. And so, you know, let me tell you what a roof costs if you put a rubber roof on it. 115 grand, son. So I look forever to say, we've got to get a different option than that. I don't know if I want to spend 115000 right now because you get like a 15 or 20-year warranty. But I found these guys who actually painted this uh, roof as well, and they do what is like a spray coat roofing, and it's half price, 60000 bucks with a 10-year warranty. So we're going to go with that. It's going to cost some money to do, uh, to do, obviously, the painting of the building over here. They're going to clean up the brick and stuff and just make that look nicer. And then we're hoping to just sort of do some renovations on the inside over there, make the offices, the conference rooms a little bit nicer. And as finances come in, we want to continue to update the kids' church stuff as much as we can, do some landscaping out here, you know what I'm saying, just to try to make it look nicer. Now, with, with the roof and everything that's included, you're looking at about $100,000 right there, right? Somebody said, yikes, yeah, but let me tell you something. It costs money to run big buildings and stuff. But, but regardless, that's, that's the phase one plan for what we want to do. Phase two will be as, as, as financially we increase. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. We're in a good enough spot where we're, I don't believe we're going to have to. I believe that once we receive this offering, we're not going to have to go into any more debt to get phase one done. I believe that. So, so we're not going in any debt to do that. I believe we're going to be able to pay for that. I mean, we already paid for this cash. There's other things that we can pay for, I think, cash. But we are going to obviously need a little bit of help. And, uh, and, and, and so that's what we're going to do. Now, phase two, if we did phase two, we would have to go in more debt. And I'm not ready to do that. I think we're in a season right now where we need to grow, where it's an opportunity where we can reach more people. But right now, you know, on some Sundays, we actually reach capacity in here. I don't know if you've noticed. And we have to put seats out in the back. And so we're, we're filling up in here to some degree. Uh, and and we've, we've done two services, and we can do two services. But one of the things that we're considering, it's not set in stone, but one of the things that we're considering is actually renovating the gymnasium and the cafeteria to become a new sanctuary. That way you could sit more, way more people. And this right here, would become a new youth auditorium slash events auditorium that we could use for those purposes. Now that would be that'll be down the road because we're just not there yet. We got to do it phase by phase. But here's kind of what that would look like generally. And and I'm telling you, this is not exact specifications. But but see, you'd have a new entrance over there on the back of the cafeteria. The cafeteria we would renovate to become a new entrance into the cafeteria, which would be the sanctuary on the new stage. So that's something to think about. And then phase three, ultimately, we just blacktop it and pretty it up and be done with it and move on. Amen. So I wanted to give you a brief overview, and I wanted to give you time to think about this because here's the thing. I will never ask you or beg you to give money. I just ain't going to do it. Y'all know how we are about this. We say very little about tithes and offerings. We leave a basket out there, and you can drop it on the way out if you want to. We, we don't, we're not into pressuring people, but I do believe there's a time when the Spirit of God says, look, let's be generous, let's move forward, let's believe God for greater things. Amen. So, so we're going to do that, and, and I want you to keep that in thought, and I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord in five weeks, 
no matter how little it may be, no matter how big it may be, Lord, what kind of offering would you have me to give uh, to this specifically? And so mon- money is obviously a difficult talk. It's, it's difficult to talk about. But when you talk about money, what you really end up finding out is whether or not God is the Lord over your entire life. I mean, it reveals it probably more than anything. You could talk about a lot of different things and it really not put pressure on what's the Lord of your life. But Jesus dealt with this. And now here's what I want to say, because when you talk about money or you talk about how we steward money as, as Christian people, there are really two extremes in the Christian church. One extreme is the prosperity gospel. Y'all ever heard of that, right? The prosperity gospel are these preachers that are usually on TV, and they preach that your spirituality is something that is used to get you wealth. And what they sometimes teach is that, listen, if you give to us, buddy, if you give $1,000 to us, God's going to give you a Mercedes and a bunch of other things, too, and he's going to make you wealthy and opulent. Those are lies. Those are not true. We don't give in order to get. Now, the scripture says, Jesus says some things that are very interesting because he says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. Running over shall men give back unto you with the measure that you give. So you take that and you'd be like, well, man, let's use that. Let's tell them if they give, then we'll give back. But see, Jesus is teaching us as if we are a child. It's it's like saying to a child, you know what? If you would give this little boy over here a toy, then I'm going to give you back a better toy. Well, see, he wouldn't want to give that toy up unless he had the promise of that better toy, would he? But so he gives it, but then it's in the giving that he realizes the real blessing is not receiving the better toy. The real blessing is in giving the toy to the other boy. Because we're just children, y'all. And we don't want to give. We're stingy. I get it. And so we want to hold on to it with all of our might. And, and, but the Lord is trying to teach us a principle that ultimately generosity creates increase so that you can become more and more generous so that thereby the world around you and the people around you can be more and more blessed. So the second uh, extreme is not the prosperity gospel, but it's just poverty because some people think it's a spiritual thing to live in poverty. Can I tell you that it's no more spiritual to live in poverty than it is to remain in sin. The word evil in the Greek language, poneros, has to do with three specific things. Sin, disease, and poverty. And Jesus prayed that we would pray that we would be delivered from all three. God doesn't want anybody to live in poverty, I don't believe. Now, the goal of Christianity is not opulent wealth, is it? That's not why we live. It's not opulent wealth. That's what we live for. We use money as a tool. We use money as a resource to advance the kingdom of God. And what God blesses us with, yes, He wants us to enjoy some things on occasion, but ultimately it's just a tool. But let me tell you this, biblical prosperity begins in your inner life. We give out of the abundance that God has given us in Jesus Christ. He makes us generous because of we see the generosity of God in our life. So that being said, here's my message for today. I want to call it true riches. What are true riches? That's what I want to talk about. And if you would, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, 16, verse 9 through 13. And here's what Jesus says, and he talks about this real funny word called mammon. How many of you ever heard of mammon? Mammon is in the Bible about four times, and here's what Jesus says about it in Luke 16, verse 9 through 13. He said, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? 
And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Notice what he says here. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, this is the only time where Jesus uses a phrase where he actually compares and contrasts and contradicts serving God against something else. Basically, he's saying the one thing is probably going to compete with you serving God more than anything is what he calls unrighteous mammon, right? Now, we could say, well, he's just talking about money. The question is, what is mammon? Mammon is not just money in and of itself. Mammon was literally a false god. Mammon was a god, in the Aramaic, it was a god of riches. He was, he, was a, he was a Syrian deity that was the god of riches. And that spirit of mammon comes because he wants you to be his servant. Amen. He tells you, look, that if you just had more money, then you, could, you would be happy. If you just had more money, you'd have peace. If you just had more money, you'd be able to help more people. If you just had more money, everything in your life would be well and good and fine. And what he tricks people into doing and believing, especially right here in America, is that it's more important to make more money than it is to sacrifice and serve God. That's what the spirit of mammon teaches us. And so he says at the end of the day, you're going to have these challenges in your spirituality, in your walk with God, where you're going to have to have, make a decision whether money is more important to you or whether God is more important to you. And he says you cannot serve both. you got to serve God and use money rather than serving money and using God. That's what the prosperity gospel does. The prosperity gospel flips it on its head and says, no, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to serve God. We're going to serve money and we're going to use God to try to get more. But what we do is we serve God and we use money for our needs and ultimately to advance the kingdom of God. And this is how he's putting things in order. So the spirit of mammon is, is a spirit, once again, that says that giving is all about getting. And he says, if you're loyal to mammon, ultimately you're going to despise God's way. Sometimes when you get caught up in this, especially if you listen to something like the prosperity gospel, what you'll believe. And I, and I, and I got to be honest with you. I mean, I heard a story. I, th- I think Justin shared a story with me just the other day about, about, you know, being willing to give to someone. And even though maybe their motives weren't right on the other side, ultimately God blessed them in abundance. How many of you have ever sacrificed in giving and then almost ult- in- instantly seen God give back to you? Anyway, my wife says all the time, you can't outgive God. You know what I'm saying? Every time, Andre and I will be thinking about giving to somebody to bless somebody, and she'll be like, let's give this man. I'll be like, that may be a little bit too much. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a pastor. What are we going to? And, 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 and I'll say that, and she says this to me every time, Clay, you can't outgive God. And every time we sacrifice and make a step, really at the end of the day, what we see is we see God just in, in different ways producing more in our life. I don't know how it happens, but he's always done that. And it's just, a, it's just one of God's principles. And so you never want to get into that mindset where you think you lack, where you don't have. It's a poverty mindset. You have what God has given you, and if he leads you to give it away, it's because he intends on blessing you in some other way. That's just, that's just how he lives. It's how he moves. But see, the spirit of mammon promises us everything that ultimately only God can give us. The spirit of mammon says if you got more money, you'll have identity. You'll have security. You'll have significance. You'll have happiness. You'll have joy. And do you know that these are only things that God can give you? A better job ain't going to give you identity. A better job isn't going to give you security. Ultimately, that job can slip right out of your hands. You can misspend your money. You can get addicted to drugs and burn it all up in an hour, son. You can do all kinds of things with money, but ultimately God is the one who gives you significance, happy, and joy. 
You know, mammon and the spirit of Antichrist, ultimately, they, they work together. And, he, and, he, and here's how I know this. Is that when we see the full man manifestation of the Antichrist that comes to the earth, he doesn't threaten the world with bombs and warfare. He threatens the world by saying, unless you receive this mark, you will not be able to buy or sell or trade. So he threatens them with money, an economic system. Because right now the spirit of mammon is at work to scare people to death financially with insecurity. And God is saying, you don't have to live up under that spirit. You don't have to be worried about money. You don't have to be worried about all these things. And so people would ask, you know, is money evil? Because money's evil. The Bible says money is the root of all evil. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, it actually says something quite different. But see, Jesus calls it unrighteous mammon. And what that is, is it's not that money is unrighteous in itself. Mammon is a spirit that seeks to get you to view money in an unrighteous way. It seeks to get you to view money as a savior, as a provider. Of, of that which I give my efforts to instead of a tool that can be used to serve God. And so when you talk about money, right, the principle, and Matt, somebody said, well, I can't believe you're preaching about this. Listen, it's Matt's fault. Where are you at? <laughs> Last week he opened up. You remember he started talking about the tithe. And one of the things that he and I were discussing is there's the principle of the first fruits throughout Scripture. God says, if you bring me your first fruits, then the lump will be holy. In other words, if they had crops, for example, they would give 10% of their crops. And what God was saying is, is if you give me your first fruits, then I will sanctify and bless the other 90%. He says, so if you give me your first fruits, the entire lump will become holy. But see, here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money, notice that, not money itself, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith, from the faith, in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You guys know anybody that, let me tell you something. One time I was, and I don't know, like, because here's the thing. You know, sometimes the Lord actually just blesses you with a better job, doesn't he? Thank God for it. Sometimes God gives you a promotion. You know, in my, in my circumstances, I was offered a job one time that was about quadruple what I currently make. And I was so tempted to take that, y'all. I would just be, amen, right? Holy as I am. Holy as I am, I saw dollar signs. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let's just be honest. Because it has a, a strong, and I had to pray deeply about what was going on. And ultimately what God shared with me is, is he said, said, Clay, there are way more important things than money. Time's more important than money, but more, more important than even that is your ministry. And if you give yourself to that, you will not be able to minister at this church the way that I've called you to do it. I was like, but Lord, I mean, this church, you know, I mean, they're just like 20, 30 people that go there, you know? He's like, no, Clay, you got to get your heart right. And so he'll deal with you about these things if you will allow him to, but it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And here's what Jesus said. Notice what we read, Luke 16, 9. He said, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, really in all the other translations that you'll find, it says when it fails, when unrighteous mammon fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, what you may be thinking at first glance is, is he telling us to make friends with money? You know, you can be like Dan Gay and just buy friends. You know, be like, Here, here's 20 bucks, you be my friend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Dan, where you at? <laughs> anyway, but he's got this situation where he's saying, look, you use money to make, use unrighteous mammon to make friends. Now, here's what he's saying. He's, 
If you look at the context, what he's actually saying is you take your 10%, you take your tithe, you give it to the kingdom, so to speak, and you use your offerings to advance the kingdom. And he says by doing so, you're going to make friends in a spiritual sense because they're going to come to know Jesus because of your giving, because of what you have given in generosity. And so they're going to come to know you and then when, or come to know Jesus. And whenever that, that, that you die, when money fails and when you fail, when you because at the end of this thing, guess what? We're all going to die and money ain't going to go to heaven with us. Can you say amen to that? You can't take nothing with you. And so he says, when those two things fail, when you die and when money fails, because you gave when you had a chance and people came into the kingdom because of it and you made friends with unrighteous mammon because you knew how to steward it, they are going to welcome you into an eternal home. That means that there are going to be some people up there in heaven that say, you know what, I'm here because you were generous. He says, they will welcome you into an eternal home because you were generous. So the question is, right, what... Should I do with my money? Because he says, he talks about true riches. And true riches, I need you to understand, are not money, it's not cars, it's not even buildings that we make really nice. True riches are the souls of men, women, and children. The truest riches right here. Like sometimes in this church, I'll get, I'll get, a, I'll get a report and people will just be like, man, I've never been more happy than I've ever been in my life before. I just, I got, we got, I've got friends here, I've got family here, and I just sense the love of God, and I'm just content. That's true riches. Amen. When we see, when we baptize like six people last week, that's true riches. And see, whenever we're generous and whenever we live this lifestyle of generosity and we're, we're advancing the kingdom and we believe that God wants to do more and we're saying, man, I believe God wants to impact our community, I believe He wants to do something, it's because we're using money to get true riches. And we want to see the souls of men, souls of women and children saved. And so what should I do with my money? You'd be like, man, I ain't trying to, you ain't going to try to tell me what to do with my money. I was at, at a wedding last night, and one of the guys told the, uh, told, told, uh, told the guy that was getting married, he said, let me tell you something, let me give you a little advice. He said, don't mix your money, keep it separate. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm not always right. But I don't actually give that advice in marriage counseling. Because at the end of the day, you get married, your money's one, y'all. Me and Andre, when we get together, you know what I'm saying? All of our money goes into one big pile. We budget it. We steward every, We know where every dollar's going. And we know before we even do anything that 10% of it is going to the church. I mean, we don't even do anything. but Like, we budget it out because we don't believe that it's ours. We don't believe that it's ours at all, so we just budget that. Then we budget the rest for bills. We pay all that, and then we have a little bit left over, and with the little bit left over, we save some, and we also ask God, God, what can we do in the, in the, in the realm of offerings? And that's what we ask the Lord, and so we do that. So we learn how to steward our money well so that we can use it for us, obviously, but also for the kingdom of God. And so what God does, here's what he says in Luke 16, verse 10 through 12. We read this a minute ago. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? He's saying, if you can't be faithful in learning how to steward unrighteous money and mammon, there ain't no way God's going to give you the true riches. And as a church, the reason we have to speak about money sometimes is because if we collectively are not stewarding unrighteous mammon appropriately, God certainly isn't going to give us the true riches. If we're going to advance and see hundreds and maybe even thousands of souls saved, he says, if I, I ain't never going to trust you with thousands of souls and you, until you can steward unrighteous mammon appropriately, until you can use it that way. 
So then he says in verse 12, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give what is your own, right? So basically God's saying, I'm going to give you a little bit. And this is like in ministry too, because you know how when people get in ministry, maybe they're preaching or maybe they're serving or maybe they're singing songs. Man, they want to go to the top instantly, don't they? Like when I first started pastoring, I won't be lead pastor. I can preach better than them. And you get this thing in your spirit. And you know what God did? God put me in a Friday night discipleship class where sometimes I would teach and one or two people would show up. And I said, there's just two people here, Lord, I'm going to leave. He said, if you cannot be faithful with the least, then I ain't going to give you the more. You have to be faithful with the little before he can give you the more. That's what he's saying. Now, you know, let me, let me see how faithful y'all are. We're, I'm going to pick somebody give me $20, right? Who, who, who's ready? Elijah, you got $20? You got $20? Give me, oh, man. See, he's, look, look, look how ready he is. Look, are you jolly? Give it to me. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Now, why was he so joyful and so ready to give me that $20? Why do you think he was? That's right. I gave it to him. This is my $20. I gave it to him before he came in this morning. My point being is there is some of your money that is not your own. You need to understand that there's a biblical principle that everything that you have is from the hand of God. And I don't know if you've given thanks to God for your house or your car recently or the clothes that are on your back or the food that you get to eat, but that came from the hand of God. Amen. Amen. And what he says is this. The reason he was so freely able to give it to me is because he knew it was mine in the first place. He knew it was mine in the first place. And the tithe is never something, it's not an option for, for you to decide what you get to do with it. God says, that's mine. I've set it apart because we're going to ask the question, what is the tithe? And the tithe in, in the Hebrew language is the mashra. It's, it's called the tenth part. God has reserved the tithe. Matt talked about this last week. He set it apart as holy. The tithe is his own. And he basically says, if you, if you take it, basically it's stolen because it's God's in the beginning. In verse 12, what we just read, notice he said, if you've not been faithful with another man's, who will give you what is your own? So if I'm not faithful with what is God, how is he going to bless the other 90% that I get to work with? It's his. And 10, let me notice, let me tell you this, because a lot of times we talk about tithe, man, it'll like, devils will stir up. There'll probably be like three or four people send me emails out of this message. So, so you get 10, the 10th, 10 throughout scripture is a test, and I can prove it to you. If you remember, God tested Pharaoh how many times? 10 times with 10 plagues. There were 10 commandments given to see whether or not Israel would obey God. God tested Israel 10 times in the wilderness. Jacob's wages were changed 10 times by Laban. Daniel was tested 10 days eating vegetables. There were 10 virgins that were tested in Matthew 25. And there were 10 days of testing that were mentioned in Revelation. So you see that 10 throughout Scripture is a test. And ultimately the tithe is a test to see whether or not you're going to come up under the spirit of mammon and trust the spirit of mammon with that economic system or you're going to come up under the economic system of God and say, God, everything that I own is yours. And I trust that even if I give, ultimately you can bless it because it's all yours in the first place. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing on this planet that God's hand is not on, but he's looking to see if you will offer it to him so that he can sanctify the rest of it. That's what he wants to do. And so he brings us to this point where he, he starts to teach us these things and he teaches us that the true riches are not money, but they're people. And they're the only thing that lasts eternally. Can I tell you that everything else we do is going to burn? 
Everything else ain't going to last. But what is going to last are the souls of people who come to know Jesus. And so we're just stewards. Some people, when you talk about the tithe, they'll say, yeah, but Clay, that was Old Covenant. That's a big argument right now. And I agree. The tithe primarily is found in the Old Covenant. And what people will say is they'll say, well, you know, that was under the law. Now we're under grace. We don't have to tithe. And, uh, and, and so here's what I would say about that biblically. One thing is this. Just because something is in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's not still good for today. Who would say, you know what, Clay, that do not commit adultery stuff, that was in the Old Testament. Now we can do that. Nobody would say, you know, that, that do not murder stuff, that was Old Covenant. That's under the law. We can kill people now. Nobody would say that, would they? So just because it's in the Old Covenant or just because it's in the Old Testament doesn't completely negate it for today. Now here's what I'll say. In the New Covenant, tithe is not mentioned except for in one or two different places. And, it's, and, and so there isn't the same commandment that they were under under the law. Under the law, they had to bring the tithe. It was in order for them to be righteous with God, which we know that they couldn't ultimately do. And here's what else is interesting. When the Jews brought the tithe, they had several different tithes, so it ended up adding up to about 19.5% of their income. But it meant a tenth part. And so when you think about the tithe in the New Covenant, people say, well, you know, it's, it's different. Giving's different now. And I will agree that it is different. But what you need to understand is that when they gave in the New Covenant, they sold their land and their possessions and laid the earnings at the apostles' feet. So if you want to go sell your land and possessions and lay it at you know, the church's feet, I mean, that's on you, right? But the tithe probably would be a principle that you'd be more ready to get on board with, honestly. But see, even though the tithe is in the Old Covenant, here's where it begins. It begins with a guy named Abraham, and Abraham was not under the law yet. He operated and functioned under grace. The Bible teaches that we are children of, of Abraham through faith in Christ. Here's what it says in, in Genesis 14, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now in the book of Hebrews, they're going to break down who in the world is Melchizedek because it says he has no beginning of days, no end of days. That means that he is eternal. And his name is Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. And it says that he's the king of Salem or the king of peace. He shows up out of nowhere after Abraham has won a great victory. And what does he bring out? He brings out bread and wine. It's a picture of Jesus, y'all. He brings out his body. He brings out his blood. He says, this is the eternal covenant, the eternal sacrifice that ultimately I will make for your ancestors from here out and forever. It's a picture of Jesus in the old covenant. And so when he sees this picture of Jesus offering his body, offering his blood, what does he do in response? He gives him a tenth of all, a tithe of all. And so you set an Old Testament principle that actually links to the New Covenant because in Hebrews 7, 8, it talks about Melchizedek and his priesthood. And here's what it says about tithes. It says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. So I need you to understand that from a spiritual perspective, every time you choose to give the tenth to God, guess what? Barb Gray or somebody, one of our treasures is going to take it back and they're going to do it and take the money and, and put it in the bank and file it and all that jazz. Mortal men receive it here, but as soon as they take it back and they receive it and it leaves your hand, guess who receives it in heaven? Amen. Jesus does. And it testifies that he lives because it basically opens the door to say, God, you now have access into this financial realm of my life because I don't want to live by a demonic economic system. I want to live by an economic system that is rooted in the kingdom of God. 
And so he blesses it. Say, I, this is actually good news for me, like, because I get excited about this because you know what, I, what it means? I never get tore up about giving God the tithe. Even this morning, we're writing our tithe check out to put it in. And I had received another gift, a little bit of money, and we put that sucker on there. And every time I do that, what I do, it actually gives me peace because I know, God, I'm entrusting you with all my finances and I ain't got to worry about a thing because you're my provider. That money's not my provider. I don't have to store that up for a rainy day because I know that you'll provide for me on a rainy day. And so I, I trust him in the difference. And, and this ends up coming to Jacob. Jacob, the son of, 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 of Isaac, ultimately, it passes down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says this in verse 22 of Genesis 28 when he has a revelation of the same thing with God that Abraham did. He said, This stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. So he promises God there, I'm trusting you to take care of me, to provide food, clothing, and ultimately bring me back home in peace. And he said, And I'll give a tithe of everything that I receive along the journey. Now, Jacob is giving the tithe regularly because he's made a vow to God. He ends up, if you remember, working for his father-in-law, Laban, and his father-in-law works him hard like most, most father-in-laws do, right? Amen. Just kidding. And, and, and so he's working hard, and he's there. And Laban changes his wages ten times. Because why? He's testing him. God's testing him. And he continues to give the tithe, and all of a sudden, one day, God shows up, and Laban says, Lord, you, you know, I'm in a bad shape here with Laban. i got to get out of this place. And he, and he talks to God. He prays about it. And what God does, he, made, he makes a deal with Laban about all of his flocks. He says, you'll get to keep like the speckled ones. God changes the colors of every single one of Laban's flocks so that Jacob inherits all of that flock, and he walks away in great wealth because of what God. You know what God said? You know what, Jacob? I'm the God of Bethel where you made the vow and you promised me the tenth. That's what God said. What's that mean? That means that you give the tithe, you go through hard times, you go through hard pressing financial times maybe, but you continue to be faithful in that and you see God come through because he remembers the vow that you made and said everything is yours and God will come out and show himself faithful on the other end. Malachi says it like this because God tests us, I believe, in this issue. But see, it's the only thing in Scripture where God says, you can actually test me in this. No other place in Scripture does it say you can test God in anything. But in Malachi 3, it says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So we understand that, look, we're no longer under the law. Thank God that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But you do understand that there are biblical principles and there are consequences to every action and decision that we make. And when we choose to reject God's biblical understanding on how we should work with our finances, we actually bring ourselves up under another economic system that is currently functioning under the curse. And one of the ways you can tell that it's functioning under the curse is look at the debt that America is in, y'all. They don't know how to manage money. I don't know if you realize that or not. And I know that everybody, we're, we're in debt as a church. Like, I get that. We're working to manage our money the best, but at the end of the day, what we believe in 
is, is trusting God. Like when we, when we receive a tithe, guess what we do? We give a tithe to local and global missions. And so, so we believe in that principle across the board. But he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the heavens. So he's not just talking about money, but he's talking about God's rule. He's talking about restoration, redemption, salvation, healing. That ultimately your tithe can even be linked to the salvation and the redemption and the healing and the freedom of others. Because he's not just unleashing money, he's unleashing the kingdom of heaven on your life. And so when he opens the windows of heaven, he said, test me. I'll open heaven. I'll pour out a blessing on you that you will not have room enough to receive. And the point being there is what? God wants to give us increase and expansion. That means that, see, if if we don't have room to receive it, you know what we got to do? We got to make stuff bigger. Somebody amen me on that. I'm telling you right now, look, I, I tell people even in next steps, like our goal is not to grow a big church. Our goal is truly to grow big people. That's what we want to do. We're not just out here to see how many people we can put in the seat. And that's why we'll talk about whatever the Bible says. If it hair lips the devil and offends you, we'll just go with it. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're going to go with. But at the end of the day, it's not our goal to grow a church. But I believe in the blessing of the Lord where he's going to pour out a blessing on us. And this right here where we're currently at, we're not going to have room enough to receive it. And he wants that in your life. He wants that in my life. He wants that in our church. And it's not always about money, but it's about something greater than that. He says, and if you will do this, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. The devourer is that that comes in. You ever just been in a bad, sticky situation and your heat and air unit break down? Amen. Amen. And, and he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that they can't get in and touch the 90%. So we know about the tithe. So the last question is this. We've got the tithe. We've got also the offering. Okay, What is the offering? So I want to make this statement. The tithe is an issue of obedience because it's already the Lord's. But the offering is an issue of cultivating kingdom advancing generosity. Because the tithe and the offering are two different things. And that's why they're listed as two different things in Scripture. Somebody said, well, my Lord, Clay, you don't already talk to me about 10%. Now you're telling me there's an offering on top of that? I get it. I understand. But the Lord is still trying to cultivate something that's bigger than us because generosity, when we live right now in Clay County in southeastern Kentucky, we live in such a poverty mindset that we are tighter than all get out in every aspect of our lives and unwilling to give a quarter to anybody. I mean, really, that's kind of the mindset that influences and affects people. And I'm telling you, if we could move into a place of generosity, you would see the chains of poverty begin to break off this county and in this area. I believe that with all of my heart. The spirit of mammon would begin to break through true generosity. So both of these are going to reveal our heart, but he's asking about two separate things. And here's, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, talking, about, talking to the Corinthians about receiving an offering. And he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here's here's the thing about it. And once again, if you choose to not give, I ain't going to knock on you. I'm not even going to know whether you give or not. Like, that's that's not my issue. I don't care. And matter of fact, I like it whenever I don't know who's giving and who's not because I don't want to be influenced on how I minister to anyone based on whether or not they're a giver. I love you regardless. 
God loves you regardless. If you never give a dime to us, you're welcome here. We love you. You're a member of our church. I say that. Amen. Now, amen. Because I, I, I get that not everybody can receive this. I get that people are on fixed incomes. I get, I get that for some people it's a very challenging thing. But at the end of the day, I believe that if you can receive the revelation from God of what He's asking you to do, it is only ultimately for your blessing and for your benefit. But here's what He says. He says, don't let anybody provoke you, manipulate you, or shame you into giving. You should never give out of compulsion. And that's why I'm actually giving you five weeks to pray about it. Because I could get here and say, you know what? God's going to bring a curse on your life uh, if you don't come and give this, this offering right now. You know, and that would, be, that would be compulsion, wouldn't it? <laughs> but we're not going to do that. I'm going to give you five weeks to pray about it and ask the Lord. Don't ask me what you should give. Ask the Lord. And you have five weeks to pray about it because here's what he says. He says, don't give out of compulsion. He says, do it willingly with a sincere heart. And he says this, because God loves a cheerful giver. He, he really, God doesn't even want it if you're going to give it with a bad attitude. I mean, that's just the truth. And I'll be honest with you, I don't either. Because the last thing I would want is for you to be upset at me because I took up an offering and you just, and you just hold a grudge against me. for the rest. Just don't give it. Just keep it and we'll be good. Amen. But if God moves on your heart and with a sincere and willing heart, you say, you know what, I believe in this. I believe God wants to do something. And I, I want to bless, I want to give to this. Because when you give an offering, there are multiple ways that you can give it. And we usually don't take up special offerings. Like a lot of the stuff that we pay for here, we pay because you're already generous in the first place. And you all are tithers. And so when we have, we have air conditioning units that break down or different things that happen in the church. You know what we do? We never ask for a special offering. We just go get it done and we pay for it. Praise God. That is a blessing, isn't it? And so there's things that happen all the time. Me and Brian and Sheb, we changed out like 10 PTAC units in here. We're down there breaking out bricks and stuff, and we just paid cash for all them things. So we're thankful that we can do that. God's blessed us in that way, but God loves a cheerful giver. And here, notice verse 8. I think God was in a good mood when he wrote this verse. He said, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's teaching them the principle of sowing and reaping. And I know this is linked to like TV evangelists who say, sow a thousand dollar seed and you'll receive ten million. Like, that's not what he's talking about. But the principle remains that ultimately, when we give to God, we are planting a seed that will, that will bring about a harvest in our lives and he's trying to help us to understand this principle and he wants us to understand that principle and here's what he says he says if you are willing to do this God's going to give to you abundantly and he says so that in all times in every season and in everything you're going to have an abundance so that ultimately you can produce more and more good works you know last year on Christmas we give we gave away like nine or ten thousand dollars of gifts to children for Christmas who didn't have that I want that number to be higher this year and the way that this is going to happen is through our generosity because we're not, doing, we're not just doing this to make our building better even though we do need to make it a little bit better, honestly. I mean, it's, sometimes it's a little bit sketchy. I remember, I remember somebody telling me, Alex, I think it was, worked over at Walmart and there was a kid that used to come to church here. He was a teenager. He used to come to church here for a while and, and, and he said, you know, we used to, he said, before COVID, we used to go to church over in Manchester somewhere. And she said, oh yeah, where'd you go? He said, I don't know, man, some big sketchy church that was like just, it looks all whacked out. It's like in a building. It looks like it's run down and it looks like it's abandoned, but then you go to the back of it and there's a church. 
I was like, man, praise God, I'm glad people feel good about it. <laughs> you know, buildings are not the most important thing, obviously. Are they? They're not. But, you know, when you talk about this stuff, you know, God made this statement. God doesn't look at the outward appearance of our building. He looks at the heart, doesn't he? But you know what God says? He says, man does look at the outward appearance. God's the one who looks on the heart. People aren't going to be drawn in because they look at your heart. They're going to be drawn in because they look at the outward appearance. They're going to be drawn in because they look at the way you love people. And then when they see a building that looks pretty nice and says City of Hope Church, they say, oh, that's a church. Maybe we go check that out. (laughs) Anyway, let me move on. Praise the Lord. Verse 10 and 11, it says this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Notice he says he will increase your store of seed. Your seed is the ability to plant more, to give more. And then he says he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So he breaks everything that we receive down into two categories. Part of what you receive is your seed. Part of it is your bread. Let me give you an example. Andre and I, $1,000 comes into us. We receive $1,000. We know right out of the gate, $100 of that is God's. Then we got $900 left. Out of this $900, I've got to discern what is our bread and what is our seed. Because if I eat my seed, I'm not going to have a harvest in the next season. So out of the 900, I say, what's our bread? We got to pay the light bill. We got to pay our house bills. We got to take care of things in the home here. We got to do all that. And you know what? Every now and then God, you know what? He doesn't care if you buy some things to enjoy life with. Because I believe enjoyment of life is as much of worship as you coming in and lifting your hands to God. I believe when you enjoy life with your friends and family and you spend a little bit of money to take a vacation or whatever you do, I believe that is worship to God. God is a joyful God. He wants you to enjoy life. So part of that falls in the bread category. But then there's a category where he says, you've got to understand, most of this is bread for the eater, but he says some of it is seed for the sower. And he says, he who sows generously will also reap generously. But he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he says, if you sow generously and you reap generously, God is going to increase the store of your seed so that on every occasion, you can be more and more generous. He's trying to increase our generosity. And the reason he wants to increase our generosity is because he wants to bring us into a place where we experience true riches. He'll help us to realize that money, you know what, it's a good tool to use in this life. Because a lot of times, you know what, when people get in a bad situation, they won't say, hey, uh, pray for me. They'll say, pray for me, unless somebody's able to give them some money. And if they get money, they're like, I don't really need God. I've got money. Amen? God is really the only thing that can help people. Money can't help people. I found that out being a pastor of church because we get people every week saying, you know what, I need this, I need that, I need that. And I will give people some things sometimes. And you know what? They always come back. They always need more. It never actually fixes the situation, does it? What fixes the situation is God. Money doesn't change people's lives. God does. Money can actually destroy your life. But sometimes God uses money to bring about His blessing in people's life. Amen. And so this is what He calls us to. 
here's what he says. He says, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And I believe that as we move into a place where we start to ask God this, whenever we, with $1,000, I say, 100 of it's yours, God. With the 900, this is our bread. This is for my family. This is for us to enjoy ourselves, to eat, to have the light bill pay. But then somewhere God's going to say, but yeah, but that right there is your seed. And if you'll sow that, I believe you'll reap a harvest in the next season where you can be even more generous to more people who are in need next time. Amen. That's what he's bringing us to. And at the end of the day, all of this comes from the plain and simple fact that we believe in a God who gave us everything. He gave us everything. He gave us the clothes on our back, the air that we breathe, the eyeballs that we see with. Every single thing that we have, God has given us. But more than anything, he has chosen to give us his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give you all things? And so you may be here this morning, you may say, well, I mean, you know what? I need the Lord. I didn't expect to come in here talking about money. Let me tell you something. This is a, this is a salvation issue as well. Whether you give or not doesn't determine whether or not you go to heaven. You know, you cannot buy anything from God, but you can't get where you're going with God without generosity. And ultimately, we just got to come back to that place where we're thankful for what we see. We have proper perspective of everything that Jesus has given us. Amen. I just want you to bow your heads there for a moment. So, Lord, we just, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. And, Lord, I know that this isn't a topic that everyone is hoping to hear whenever they come on Sunday morning. But, Lord Jesus, this is a topic that I believe can truly transform our lives. And I do believe that it can transform our hearts and it can change our community. And, Lord, that when we step into true generosity, Lord God, you're able to bless people and you're able to bless our community in a way that we don't fully understand. And so I just pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you, Lord, over the next few weeks about this particular thing. But Lord, I pray this morning that if there is anyone in here that has not experienced your generosity and the love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, that their hearts would be open to that now, Lord. I pray, God, that they would receive you, Jesus. They would receive the gift of salvation that you pour out on them abundantly. And Lord, that your blood would be applied to their life, God. They would receive the forgiveness of sins that you offer and the ultimate salvation that you give, God, where we have an eternal life and eternal home with you. And so, Father, we just bless each one and we thank you for all of these things right now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask my prayer team to come forward, anybody who's on it. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, if you feel like giving your life to the Lord this morning, if you need prayer in your body for healing, if you're going through a trial where you just need the Lord to speak to you, if you need prayer, you can come to this altar and pray. If you'd like to, speak to one of us, and we'll be willing to pray with you.